This is a special branded episode from our sponsor, Philips. Here in Linesville, Pennsylvania, there is no masses of population here. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Here in Los Banos, California, we have some homeless veterans. We have a lot of veterans that are elderly, that are on fixed incomes and don't have the capabilities of getting to the doctors. That's Ray Andell from Veterans of Foreign Wars, or VFW Post 7842, and Michael Hughes, commander of VFW Post 2487. These posts are located in two of America's many rural communities, close-knit communities that pride themselves on the American traditions of self-sufficiency, duty, and honor. Of the 18.2 million U.S. veterans, 4.7 million returned from duty to live in rural communities like Linesville and Los Banos. Nearly a quarter of all U.S. veterans call rural America home. It's where their roots are. It's affordable. Schools and towns are less crowded. There's privacy, and there's plenty of room for recreation. There are, however, hardships, especially when it comes to the most basic of needs, healthcare. Compared to urban localities, America's rural communities have higher poverty rates, more elderly residents with chronic health conditions, and people with poorer health. If we consider the laws of supply and demand, every rural community should have a hospital and plenty of care options. But this isn't the case. Because of geographical distance, limited access to broadband internet, financial instability within the community, and limited transportation options, rural-based Americans and their families are often unable to access the health care they need when and where they need it most, close to home. That's why Phillips and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs have partnered for over 45 years to bring health care to these underserved heroes through innovative options. It's a delivery system known as telehealth. I'm David Himmel. In this special edition of Pulse Check, a branded episode from Phillips, I sit down with two healthcare leaders, head of Philips Global Marketing Patient Care Analytics, Carson P. Russell Wood, and Vice President of Philips Veterans Health, Nathan Naylor, to discuss the ways in which telehealth is improving care for our veterans by closing the access gaps of time and distance. The Philips VA partnership leverages advanced digital technologies and artificial intelligence in ways that may someday influence change throughout America's entire healthcare system. Carson, Nathan, Thank you both for sitting down with me today. Nathan, I want to start with you first. Philips uh, ha- has been supporting VA, the DOD, and other agencies for decades. Why does Philips think it's so important to support the federal government? Well, the federal government has a unparalleled ability to change the face of healthcare in the United States. And the United States has an unparalleled ability to change the way healthcare is delivered across the world. So VA being the largest integrated health network in the United States, the the work and the innovation that happens at VA for people like the veterans in my family can also directly benefit the people in my family and in your family that, that have not served in the armed forces. So by partnering with the federal government, we are able to harness a very powerful lever of innovation and be able to speed new technologies, new techniques, new workflows to market that could take years more than if we were to not partner with the federal government. The majority of veterans living in rural areas are 65 and older, and a lot of the health issues these men and women face are chronic issues that require routine care like diabetes, uh, obesity, heart conditions. But as younger veterans enter the system, they may have specific physical or brain injuries rather than chronic, arguably more age-related issues. Carson, how does Phillips and the VA treat these issues differently 
and what solutions are being developed to address a younger generation of veterans in need of ongoing care. We don't see that telehealth is a segment-based or specific solution for a, a point in time. It really is a continuum concept. And so to that end, when we look at the acute versus the chronic uh, cycle that patients or, or veterans may go through, Philips designs enterprise telehealth solutions for, for the hospital space, as well as the long-term uh, acute care and, and rehab space and even skilled nursing facility, which is broader than just the traditional home concepts of telehealth. So as we see younger veterans having more acute situations, making sure that we can bring those providers to those patients, not only in their communities, but also over a more sustained period is very valuable. Look, whether or not you're a 73-year-old Vietnam veteran or you're a you know, 32-year-old uh, veteran Af of Afghanistan, you have a lot in common, right? You've both sacrificed a great deal for your country. You've both defended the nation with honor. Both these veterans, probably their families have carried a big burden. And, and in our lane, when it comes to healthcare, you've got two things going against you. You have the tyranny of time and you have the tyranny of distance. Telehealth, sometimes referred to as telemedicine, has been an approach to providing healthcare services to patients for seven decades. Improvements in technology and the introduction of the internet has made it easier to provide services and improve the way clinicians connect not only with their patients, but with their patients' care team in hospitals, regardless of distance. But what does telehealth really look like? It can be as simple as a patient using a smartphone app to have a video chat with a clinician, or sitting down in front of a camera and monitor at the local VA facility. Cameras and monitors in the ICU departments can connect care teams to a specialist hundreds or thousands of miles away to receive immediate care consultations. And thanks to electronic medical records, the specialist has the patient's history at their fingertips. Wearables and other health apps also provide information that can be accessed and monitored so that the physicians can treat the patient with efficiency, privacy, and confidence, leading to better outcomes. Telehealth is not designed to replace face-to-face -face interactions with physicians and patients, but rather keep them more connected. Here's the biggest thing, though, about telehealth that's really exciting for VA. Telehealth will allow VA to continue having a specific doctor see a specific patient. So it's not that you're seeing a doctor, you're seeing your doctor. When, when you start going to an urgent care center or, you know, one of these other health facilities, Every six months, you may have a new doctor. Uh, a great thing about uh, VA care is that many of the clinicians that work at VA are working there for life. And many of them, they're either military kids or they, you know, they, they, they have veterans in their family. So they, they really have a connection with many of their patients in their care. And they're able to still see that patient via telehealth rather than put them out to, you know, a clinician that they may have never met before, may not have built a bond of trust. People want that personalized care that's convenient and they want it to be comfortable and, and you know, deliver the best outcomes. So really when we look at telehealth, you know, the analog to FaceTime, the analog to connecting to individuals in your family, multi-generational families that aren't located in the same community or the same state is now part of healthcare. And Philips is doing that not only through the uh, the warmness and the, and the connectedness of telehealth through the audiovisual, but also making sure that the physiologic data, that, that monitoring data from a, a uh, chronic heart failure patient, a patient with a chronic disease, is connected simultaneously and continuously 
to providers that are looking at this to make sure that they can trend that information and create some meaningful outcomes. So, Nathan, we, we know that travel, travel distance and time, obviously, uh, that, that affects affordability. Uh, but what other ways does, does telehealth make healthcare more affordable? Um, one, it's going to help systems in the United States spend less, but it's also going to help us stay healthy. Look, I mean, it, the most important thing is, is that if you can prevent something really bad from happening, something that r- will result in a very expensive hospital stay, then the hospital isn't going to spend that money. Yeah, I mean, really, if you think that too much money has created the problem, too little money is going to solve the problem. And what we know is we can't get a critical care intensivist or specialists in every community in America. That's just the supply and demand uh, limitations we have. But if we break down your question, first, let's look at the, the patient and the family. Socioeconomically, if we're moving patients and transferring patients simply because the right level of care isn't available in their community, that costs the payer, that costs the family, but it also costs the patient when it comes to actually making sure that they can achieve the best outcomes they can. That's a great great point, Carson. Look, VA is not encumbered by the rest of healthcare in the United States with the reimbursement rate, right, for seeing people. VA gets to focus on what's best for, for veterans. That's not true for most, if not all, hospitals. I know of a case that is heartbreaking of a major medical chain that was leveraging some really terrific advanced telehealth services, and they had to sunset it because they were not being reimbursed. They were going in the red on doing the right thing for their patients. That stinks. (laughs) When a facility cannot use the latest technology to do what's right for their patients because it's costing them too much money to keep folks healthy, to prevent illness, it shouldn't work that way. So, uh, you know, I know that there are, you know, a lot of people who are a whole lot smarter than I am, elected officials both at the federal and state level that are aware of this issue. But I think we all need to, to support lawmakers and leaders that are willing to rethink how healthcare systems are compensated for telehealth and that there isn't some kind of a perverse incentive to keep you sick or to keep you chronic, because I I think telehealth will be able to disrupt a lot of that. The VA serves 9 million veterans, making it one of the largest healthcare systems in the U.S. Carson, how can this relationship serve as a roadmap for other future public-private partnerships? I mean, bringing care forward, I think, is uh, a interest that isn't just for traditional health tech companies. We're seeing the the Googles, the Amazons, the Berkshire Hathaways, uh, and and a large part of Silicon Valley moving into that space. Even as we look at the larger uh, carrier networks for four G or even five G, T Mobile has sponsored a veteran access enablement package so that they receive those services for free. So where those traditional costs or those barriers could be will be broken down. And I believe that we will see more significant partnerships through unnatural kind of linkages than we've ever seen before, whether it's access to data through mobile environments, uh, which will connect the, the Microsofts and the Philips, or through, of course, the, uh, the transactional nature of, of some of the delivery systems like Amazon. A, a really amazing thing is that VA doesn't want to hog the ball. They understand that some of these remote telehealth access stations might not just be good for veterans. It might be good for women, infant, and children. It might be good for the Indian Health Service. It might be good for other needs other than veterans. And th- these leaders at VA are actively thinking about how they could 
help seed telehealth locations that could serve not only veterans, but the family of the veterans, right? The grandson of the veteran, right? The daughter of the veteran that have not served. So that maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, the facility sees veterans, but maybe Tuesdays it sees kids, Thursdays it sees, you know, folks from native native lands or hopefully the use cases will radically spiral in the same way that, you know, Steve Jobs was a genius in inventing the first iPhone, but I'm pretty sure he didn't think about all 3 million apps that are on it right now or however many there are. So I think many of us at Phillips really hope that this kind of gets away from us a little bit. You know, like we, we don't have all the ideas. Uh, other people will think up how to use this. So, Nathan, what specific technologies exist to address the challenges facing rural living veterans and these other Americans? We have a product called eCare Manager, which eCare Manager uses uh, machine learning and predictive analytics and some new items that we've recently announced on the predictive algorithm side. That's right. That's right. So telehealth, classically, we think about that, that FaceTime audiovisual connection, but ultimately to really ensure that we understand how the patient's doing and, and uh, appreciate the, the direction of care, we need that data and we need to figure out what to do with that data. So if you can imagine that in a traditional ICU, over a thousand pieces of information are coming together hourly on a single patient, what do we do with that? Really, the human brain isn't set up to cognitively exercise a decision-making path there. So instead, we, we evolve artificial intelligence and clinical decision support tools that can aggregate that data and actually help present a very simplified, almost like a traffic light, red, yellow, and green indicator of what's the, the patient's trajectory from that point in time. So if we think about traditional care being the point of care provider within the hospital, now we're really trying to augment that by bringing together a remote specialist who is continuously surveilling patients across the country. So to make sure I understand this right, the eCare Manager is the software powering the EICU program. Now, this program has grown substantially within the VA. Carson, tell me about how the EICU program has advanced telehealth and been beneficial to patients and health systems. Yeah, so you know, the, through the VA partnership, which has about, uh, been about a decade with the uh, Phillips EICU program, has expanded year on year to cover more of the VA hospitals and, and by doing so, obviously, cover more of the, the VA's critical care uh, bed population. Look, this is taking care of the most critically wounded, ill, and injured veterans in their darkest hour, right, when they're in the ICU. So we're leveraging what we've learned for almost over a decade, right, a decade with VA, and we're starting to apply this learning for for telehealth sites that will go into community centers, veteran service organization halls, and in the home. It's amazing how much they're leaning forward to really go into this with an open mind and challenge their assumptions and look for areas of innovation that they don't have to be the ones to think it up. If we look at, at some of the largest scale peer-reviewed published publications on enterprise critical care telemedicine, they're reducing systematically uh, mortality by 20 to 30 percent reducing length of stay, which is not only a benefit to the patient and the provider, but also to the hospital financials by, by equal 20 to 30 percent, and of course, transfers. And what transfers means is essentially just like we used to, to use the little uh, moving water from one glass to another to make them equal, if we're level-loading health systems, that's just better business in general. People aren't moving. 
uh, it's cheaper, and of course, it's it's uh, you know better for the patient and the outcome. EICU is really a, a phenomenon in in telehealth, where an organization like the VA is investing in centralized clinical operations centers that that don't stop at the intensivist and the ICU. It really is breaking down the bo- the boundaries and the and the silos of traditional care. So the there's the story of the EICU enabling a neurosurgeon to coordinate care with a veteran and their bedside team from thousands of miles away. To the example of Telestroke, you know, the VA began their, their Telestroke program in 2017. And what's critical in that emergent situation is ensuring that a neurologist is able to see that patient within the first hour. It's called the golden hour from uh, the American Heart Association. And the key there is to try and def- define what type of stroke it is. So life-saving thrombolytics like, like TPA can be delivered and, and the outcomes are, are miraculous. Now, what happens after that patient has been diagnosed remotely by a neurologist? Well, they're going to go into the ICU or, or go into recovery. And the difference between a clinical operations center and this, this you know, continuum of virtual care is that patient then is monitored from that initial episode to the time of discharge. That continuity of care, those warm handoffs as you move from the ED to the ICU to the med surge, allow those patients to have a better experience and, of course, also through that, the, the families. We've had successful outcomes in reducing transfers of patients into emergency departments at tertiary medical centers because the community hospital didn't have a neurologist. Also, increasing the utilization of TPA at the community hospital by significant amounts. You know, a lot of these community hospitals that are out there and even some of the VA community-based outpatient centers, I don't know, even some of their more rurally placed veteran medical centers Look, if it's over the weekend, they may not have a specialist on duty right then, but they need them right now. So telehealth allows them to reach out to this clinical command center that Karsten's discussing where there is a a specialist on duty that does know what the best course of action is. Karsten, so how how do advances like predictive analytics and population health management play a role in increasing the flexibility and choice for how veterans receive their care? We really have to see AI tools in benefiting not only the clinical outcomes of a patient, but also the operational outcomes of the organization it serves. This can either be through introducing tools that present to the clinical care team physiologic determiners that show an adverse event coming, or of course, even tools that show that a patient that is healthy otherwise is spending too long in the hospital. And so if we see you know, what Phillips and the VA are doing in the ICU program, it's, it's really creating a, a, a national system-wide safety net, really through tr- uh, two clinical command centers, one located in Cincinnati and one located in Minneapolis. And if you imagine that, that through those, those co-located dedicated teams, they're able to manage over 38 VA hospitals across 15 states, with a dedicated team of nurses and doctors managing scales of, of one intensivist to 150 patients or one nurse to, to, to uh, you know, 30 or 40 patients. Specifically, when we look at AI and the fact that we have continuous data from patients, we're able to generate tools that, that target costly and morbidity-related events, such as sepsis, of course, also mortality, and elements that take different body functions and combine them, such as the cardio, uh, cardiac as well as the uh, cardiopulmonary and, and uh, respiratory systems. In the last two weeks, uh, Philips has launched a new piece of or a new form of artificial intelligence called SentryScore that is aiming to predict the outcomes of patients before they actually have a deterioration in place. 
Now, AI doesn't just have to be clinical. It can also be operational. So let's take a look at the patients that are spending too long in the ICU, which has a substantial burden on the occupancy rates of ICUs, and how can we actually use AI intelligence to transfer those patients out of the hospital and out of the ICU faster. That's a tool we launched called the Discharge Readiness Score, which really helps predict the patient's probability of of death or, or readmission within 48 hours. So you have all this data. Nathan, how is Philips protecting patient privacy? Everything that we make goes through a quality and regulatory framework. So if if you're talking about, you know, the, the, the bits and bytes that are inputting data from the respirator that's keeping you alive in the ICU, I mean, that's going into the electronic health record of the local hospital. I mean, that's the other thing to remember that at VA, for example, about a third of VA's fleet of diagnostic imaging devices, patient monitoring devices, interventional radiology devices, and the rest are Philips. So whether or not it's an MRI or a CAT scan or a defibrillator, that's one of our products. And each one of them interfaces with VA's current electronic health record system, Vista, but it will eventually interface with VA's future electronic health record system provided by Cerner. So I believe there's always more that can be done to ensure cybersecurity in every field, including in our field and in the medical field. But Philips is a very active member of the Medical Information Sharing and Analysis Center, which is a which is a public-private partnership with the Department of Homeland Security that you know every federal agency participates in. Karsten, how does EICU increase scalability of telehealth solutions for veterans? And so we know that a lot of veterans, you know, live in, in rural areas. So really to be able to support veterans across the country, we need to make sure that as telehealth is introduced, we move beyond the adoption of a, of a piece of technology that, that can fail over time. You know, we, we often see the, the Hawthorne effect there of, of introducing something and not succeeding to something actually that has a sustainable foundation that creates a blueprint. And the Philips EICU model truly is one of those uh, established enterprise blueprints for adopting telehealth and then expanding it. And that comes not only through technology, but it comes from integrating people, process, and that technology to create a a new model of of care delivery. So if we look at the model at the the VA or even in, uh, in North America, these networks of enterprise clinical command centers can service you know, hundreds of hospitals from a single core location, and at the same time ensure that distance is not a, uh, a jeopardy or a barrier to, to providing that care. What Philips has done with the VA in advancing telehealth technology and better clinical and operational outcomes is not exclusive to rural areas. Baptist Health South Florida operates seven hospitals and 50 outpatient and urgent care centers throughout Miami-Dade County. Since implementing Philips' EICU program in 2006, Baptist Health was able to reduce mortality rates in the ICU by 23 percent and brought patient stay length down by 25 percent. Nathan, telehealth seems, on the surface, to be designed with rural America in mind. How is it being used in urban settings? Yeah, telehealth isn't just about linking someone that lives out in God's country up with a clinician that's, you know, 500, 800 miles away. So right now we're coming to you from Washington, D.C. I grew up in a town called Springfield, Virginia, which is just south of the Beltway. If you're in a military family and you grew up in Springfield, Virginia, it's maybe 13 miles to the hospital at Fort Belvoir, Virginia. And then it's 
the other side of the beltway to get to the VA hospital or Bethesda. For a wounded warrior or for an aging veteran in rush hour, that's a scary hour and a half commute. So telehealth is not just about rural veterans. It's also about underserved veterans. It's about, and just regular Americans, you know, people are going to have to take they're going to have to transfer three bus lines or take a combination of rail, bus, and Uber to get where they're going or just navigate a icy walkway or something. Look, if there, if there are things that you can do at home, if there's a wearable device, if there's a, if there's a gadget you know, our company makes or somebody else makes that can sit on your counter, that can dispense your medicine for you so you don't have to count your pills and make sure that you've got – your prescription right and you know it's a, it's a device that we actually make something like this that can tell you when it's time to take your medicine in case you're forgetful if you're if you have some cognitive issue dementia alzheimer's parkinson's or traumatic brain injury or you're just like me you're forgetful right you know you might forget to take your medicine these are all the things that telehealth are going to be able to help people do and so it's not just folks in montana and alaska it's in the suburbs it's even it's even downtown. In 2018, there were 1 million VA video telehealth visits, and 94% of patients were satisfied with their care. Despite this and its other successes, only 13% of U.S. veterans used telehealth that year. What barriers are preventing veterans and all other Americans from accessing telehealth solutions, and how is Phillips working to overcome these barriers? So first thing is people need access to broadband. If you live in a community that you don't have broadband or access to wireless broadband, Forget it. Telehealth doesn't work. If you cannot get broadband internet, oftentimes, you know, in places like an, an intensive care unit or a trauma hospital, the data that Philips harvests off the patient monitors that help uh, the e-care manager predictive analytic engine provide clinical decision-making tools to a doctor or, or a nurse is data heavy. So you need to have the broadband internet pipe to let the machine do its job. The second thing that's very important, VA clinicians are allowed to practice medicine over state lines when they're seeing a veteran patient. That is not true of most clinicians. Most clinicians have to be licensed in the state that the patient resides in or that they're being seen in. There are states that have clinicians. There are states that don't. And so in the future, what I think the United States needs is a coherent telehealth policy that takes into account that there are locations that have an abundance of clinicians and there are places that do not. The incentive for it really comes through true one-for-one -one reimbursement to what traditional medicine has to offer us. And, and we're going to see that happening. And, and right now we, we see inequities between the reimbursement between rural and urban. But the reality is a, a veteran may have just as much of a challenge getting to the hospital if they live in Manhattan and the hospital's a mile away than if they live in Montana and the hospital's three hours away. So creating standardized kind of approaches that are uniform, but also incentivizing physicians and, and hospitals to use telehealth through one-for-one -one reimbursement. What about policy at the state or federal level? How have policies helped or hindered access to telehealth? You know, I, th I think Congress did a really good thing when they established when they wrote not only the Choice Act, but also the Mission Act, because I mean, right now VA has some really cool tools 
that other that somewhat the envy of you know public sector healthcare. The, the reason why we're able to do some of the the, the clinical trial and and partnership uh, opportunities that we're exploring with VA right now is because Congress has let them do it. I think that, and I hope that some of the successes that VA is having right now will be attractive to other organizations like the Indian Health Service and uh, Center for Medicaid and uh, Medicare uh, Services. And this will be a best practice that others can adopt because it's not the way, it's not business as usual. Government really is innovating right now. It's a pretty exciting time. Karsten Russell-Wood, Nathan Naylor, thank you both for sitting down with me today. As Nathan and Karsten mentioned, when telehealth is fully realized, the benefits won't impact only our vets. The technology is out there to benefit all citizens. As Philips expands its EICU and other telehealth services into new partnerships, and as more private companies team up with public organizations, the offerings will become almost ubiquitous. And with that ubiquity comes the promise of better patient outcomes and a more affordable healthcare system. When it comes to our health, the country could be as connected as our state lines on a map. And that kind of unification is something we can all fight for. This special episode of Pulse Check is brand content paid for by Philips and produced in conjunction with Politico's brand content studio. Politico's editorial team was not involved in the production of this episode.